eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Like, I couldn't have thought of a better team for you to go to than the Flyers and join the Legion of Doom line. It clicked right away. And for us, it just didn't happen for a 20-game segment. It, it happened for, uh, for seasons on seasons. Game Time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is one of the greatest NHL players of all time, Olympic gold medalist and Hart Trophy winner, Eric Lindros. Presented by GEICO. Today's guest was a boy wonder on the Canadian hockey landscape who ended up, as many had predicted, in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Along the way, he starred for the Philadelphia Flyers and, of course, my beloved New York Rangers before concluding his NHL career with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Dallas Stars. It's certainly my pleasure to welcome Hockey Hall of Famer Eric Lindros. Eric, welcome to Game Time. Thanks, Boomer. All right, so let's get started with this. You and I have a hate-love-hate relationship, so I want to make that uh, obvious to everybody out there that I am not a Flyers fan. I hate the Flyers. Out of all the teams uh, that I root for, the New York Rangers are my most passionate, and uh, you were a thorn in my side until you finally got it right and came to the Rangers. But your dad had a hockey rink in your backyard when you were a kid? Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, That's pretty common here in Canada. I grew up just outside of Toronto, London, Ontario. It's about two hours west. And uh, when I was about 11, we, my dad was transferred here to Toronto and, and, and grew up here. We took out the swimming pool, actually, and, and uh, put it in the rink uh, for the winter. And uh, uh, we went at it that way. Yeah, I wish I would have had one of those back in the day when I was. I, maybe I wouldn't have been a quarterback. Maybe I would have been a center for the New York Rangers. I don't know. But, well, I think uh, you did so, all right, Boomer. Yeah, I, I did all right. But no, it yeah. sounds like it was a great childhood. And I know you and yeah. your parents and your brother, very, very tight family. You became the next great one or the next one, as they would attest to, uh, you know, in Canada. And the pressure that comes along with that as a young man, when you look back and reflect back on those days, did you realize how people were seeing you? Not really. I think, uh, yeah, and, and I think it, would, it had to do more with just the love, the purity of the game, and and just every day going to the rink, and and uh, whether it be practice or games, I for for some reason I could really separate things, and and 
and never really focused on that. I uh, focused more on what was just lying ahead and, and enjoying it. And, and then you become the first overall pick in the NHL draft by the Quebec Nordiques. Yeah. And you actually set out an entire year of a potential rookie season, which was amazing to me. What was the deal with the Quebec Nordiques and you, and why didn't you want to play for them? It was brought up that I didn't like the French. It was brought up that it was a, a, an English-French situation and it was a smaller town, and which was completely uh, inaccurate. I mean, I, I'm married to a French woman. Um, you know, it had nothing to do with, uh, with anything along those lines. Uh, it had to do with, uh, with the owner of, uh, of, of the Quebec Nordique. He's just not a good, he's not a good person. And, and I think, you know, in, 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 uh, in sports, uh, through the organizations that you, uh, you were with, it starts from the top in, in many fashions, uh, uh, but certainly having somebody up, to, up top, uh, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a quality person, that's a respected person, that uh, it starts there. And, and he wasn't, uh, he, I didn't want to play for him. Yeah, I just I just found found it really interesting that you were willing to give up a year of your NHL career to to stand pat, which you did, and yeah. ultimately you get embroiled in into a trade scenario right. between two different teams, my New York Rangers, of course, right. and the Philadelphia Flyers. It wasn't your decision to make; it was an arbiter's decision to make, and they chose in favor of the Flyers. Mm. When you think back, I would think that you would hope that you would have been traded to somebody like Toronto or Montreal in your home country. But the fact that it was the Flyers, were you happy with that? I was sitting on the couch listening uh, to where I was going. I remember it was around noon. Uh, I had no idea where I was going. I had uh, obviously I'd never been to Philadelphia before. I'd been to New York City once. So yeah, I mean, I, it was all very fresh and new to me. Um, but I think if you backtrack a little bit, a lot of this had to do with if you're going to start something because of our free agency situation and the and the the rights the players had at the time, there was no free agency in hockey until I believe the age of 30. So once you are in a situation with the team, you're generally there. If you come in as an 18 year old, you're generally there unless you're traded uh, until you're 30. So to take that extra year to make sure that you're in a, in a, in a proper situation, uh, I thought it was worth it. And I ended up going to a, a real good, uh, you know, we weren't very good off the bat, but uh, we certainly got a lot better quickly. The NHL record book for Eric Lindros lists 372 goals, 493 assists, and 1,398 penalty minutes. That's uh, over 23 full games in the sin bin, I might add. In fact, he visited the penalty box so often the Flyers and the Rangers should have installed a mini fridge and a microwave in there for him. You know, you did spend a lot of time like you just would always get your face in it. You'd always be, you know taking guys down, fighting people. I mean, what, what, where, did, where did this uh, whole attitude come from? Well, I don't know. I think that two minutes a game wasn't that bad. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's bound to happen from time to time. Uh, you know, I, I think you got to play on the edge a little bit. And uh, that's certainly the way it was. And and it was a lot more of a situation in the 90s geared toward, you know, respect. I think it uh, worked its way all the way through with the, with the instigator rule and, and whatnot. So, you know, taking penalties uh, at the right time was some, uh, something that uh, in many cases was, uh, was absolutely appropriate. Yeah, you know, it was appropriate when you were wearing the orange and black, that's for sure, because that was basically their culture. And, like, I couldn't have thought of a better team for you to go to uh, than the Flyers and join the Legion of Doom line with uh, John LeClaire and Michael Renberg, your, your yeah. line mates. Yeah. Uh, that had to be fun. That, I mean, let's That really it. was. That, that really was fun. We had uh, Michael Renberg was a draft pick, and then Johnny we got uh, from a, in a trade with uh, with uh, Montreal. We brought in Eric Desjardins, him and uh, Gilbert Dion, 
in, in a trade for Mark Recchi. And it was, uh, it was fantastic. It, it, it clicked right away. I think we had a couple of, a couple of practices and, and things just started to, started to zip. I think, you know, in, in your old, I don't know what it's like when you get a new receiver in or you get a new, uh, a new tight end, but things just start to, to move into practice and then it parlays itself into games. And then for us, it just didn't happen for a 20 game segment. It, it happened for, uh, for seasons on seasons. And, and uh, we really had a lot of fun playing together for, uh, uh, for that extent of time. When you found out that you were going to the Flyers, did you realize their history? Did you know about Bobby Clark? Did you know about Dave Schultz? Did you know about I, Bernie Perrant and all these guys? I did not. I knew of, but I did not know the history. I did not know the, you know, the seventies uh, mystique. <laughs> or, oh, it was a mistake, lack, all right, man. Or lack of street boys, street boys, baby. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, you know, my my Rangers used to play like a beautiful brand of hockey. Yeah, you know, they yeah. were like the Montreal Canadiens, Roger O'Meara yeah. floating all over the ice, John right. Rattel and Vic yeah. Hatfield and all those guys. And then, you, and then, of course, you know, the Broad Street Bullies. So I was just wondering, when did you realize that this was the franchise that you were going to, and this was the way that you were going to play? Doesn't take long to uh, to to uh, to look into the books and and uh, and to get a feel when you walk around the hallways of the uh, of the rink. So. No, you uh, you find that out very quickly. How do you think the NHL handled the pandemic with their bubbles and the way that they yeah. they actually got through the playoffs and then ultimately handed the Stanley Cup championship out? Amazing. I I, I think I, I look at that and think uh, not one incident. I, I I can't I can't recall an incident. I didn't hear of one thing. Uh, and to to ask that of the players, I mean, certainly you're playing for the Stanley Cup, so guys are going to do whatever it takes. But there was just no there was there's no in between. Everybody was on the same page. It seemed like good for the NHL for doing it the, in the fashion that they did, and and congratulations for Tampa Bay for uh, for winning. You know, the best thing that came out of that whole bubble scenario was that the Rangers won the lottery, and the fact that we got the number one overall pick in the draft, and it's Alexei Lafreniere. Do you have any idea as to how good this young man could be? Because many are saying that he's the next one. He was out of the Quebec League. I don't know a, a whole lot about him. Uh, I do know he's a dynamic scorer. I think, you know, he's, he's every time that you watch World Juniors or, you you know, you, fantastic player. So hopefully the Rangers have something there. I'm sure they do. It's what the Rangers need, obviously, uh, is, is a real dominant player. And, and hopefully they have one in, the, in their pick. Welcome back to Game Time, where we're joined by Hockey Hall of Famer Eric Lindros, who finally joined the Rangers as he was traded to them in 2001. The Blue Shirts opened their training camp in the Westchester suburb of Rye, New York, one day after the tragic events of 9-11. I, I want to see if you can remember what it was like going to training camp right after 9-11 and what it felt like to be a New York Ranger. Oh, we were there. I mean, we were, it was, it was, uh, it was right there. I remember uh, the day uh, very well. I lived in, uh, in the basement. Uh, Mark Messi had a, a ground floor. He had a one bedroom situation that I was, uh, uh, he let me uh, stay in for a week until I got myself uh, organized a, a little bit. We were heading to shoot Regis and Kelly. Uh, just down a little bit south of, uh, of where Mark, Mark was around 85th and in uh, the Upper West Side. And, and the shooting at Regis and Kelly was just a little bit south of there. And I remember being in the green room, getting ready to go, and, and people just coming out and looking at the monitors and uh, and, and, and watching the, the, the replay of, uh, you know, the explosion and the, or the plane crashing into, uh, into the first tower and... and uh, Oh, it was, it was, it was horrible. What did it feel like being on the ice in Madison Square Garden for the first time, though, in front of the fans and what sports actually meant to all of us here in New yeah. York uh, mm -hmm. after that? 
No, sports is a big deal. Sports, you can, you know, you can rally around. Uh, you, I remember uh, there were groups of us with the Rangers that would go down to uh, to Ground Zero, and you know, we're you're just trying to go down and to 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 brighten things up a little bit. It's it was it was really sad, and 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 it was just a horrific situation down there. But uh, to come down and just to shake hands and to say thank you, and 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 to uh, uh, to be appreciative of what everyone was trying to accomplish uh, after uh, such a horrific incident. Uh, um, you know, you don't, you, you don't, you don't forget those moments. You, you certainly don't. You know, it's, it's amazing. You say you would live with Mark Messier in his basement. And I'm thinking as a kid growing up and watching what they were doing with the Oilers and knowing about him and Gretzky and everything else, that had to be quite the time actually living with Mark Messier for a guy like you, where you came from. Well, let's not, let's get, let's get things straight here. I was on the ground floor. Mark was up a little bit. <laughs> I had a little. I had a nice little 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 spot. You know what it's like in New York. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I had a nice little spot. I, I'm not uh, not complaining one iota about it. And uh, and no, Mark was up uh, up top with uh, with his group. And uh, no, it worked out well. I, I got the, the I stayed there for about a week or so until I uh, got my feet on the ground. And I actually just moved up uh, about geez eight seven or eight blocks north, just off the west side, to, and found a spot to, to rent up there. So. Uh, yeah, there was a good little group of us uh, in the city and, and uh, in a wonderful area and neighborhood to, uh, uh, you know, to live in. It had to be pretty cool playing with him. Absolutely. Oh, he was my idol growing up. I remember yeah. when I was 16, I got, uh, I got tickets, standing room only tickets, Maple Leaf Gardens <laughs> to go watch the Oilers when they came to town. And it was just after uh, Gretzky was traded. Uh, I got a stick. He used an orange and blue Sherwood uh, 5030. And I got a stick from John McCauley, who was uh, head of NHL refereeing. I played with his son, Wes, at St. Mike's. And uh, he got me a stick that uh, they read, Happy Birthday, Eric Mark Messier. And I, 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 st- I have that stick to, you know, to this day. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's not something I brought up right away when I met Mark. But uh, <laughs> certainly, I certainly have that stick, for sure. So, yeah, uh, whatever you do. a lot of fun. Don't give that stick up ever. And by the way, it's okay to play. it's okay to play with your idols, and it's actually pretty cool that you did. Welcome back, everyone. We're joined by Hockey Hall of Famer Eric Lindros. And Eric, you know, we were talking about your time with the Flyers and, and different situations that had happened in your life. And one of the bigger situations that happened to you as a player was when you were playing against the Nashville Predators and you got injured. And after the game, they were telling you that it was a rib injury but yeah. you almost died mm. until somebody gave you some good advice. Who actually saved your life? And what I was had a uh, clops lung. Yeah, it was uh, Keith Jones. Keith Jones found me in the, uh, in the bathtub uh, in Nashville. And uh, it, it was a long time ago. And it was uh, lucky that uh, Keith got in touch with, uh, with Roger Nielsen, uh, who was our coach at the time. And, and I got to the, got to the hospital and, uh, and not on the flight that I was scheduled to be on. So, Having been on a plane, I, I, you know, you, you blow up when you're, you, you know, things would have, uh, with, with the pressure, right? right so yeah. I got very lucky to be sh- sent to the hospital and and uh, uh, and looked at right there. So I got in and uh, yeah, didn't even have this, you know, didn't even take my suit pants off before they uh, punctured the uh, punctured the, the lung and, and and released the pressure and, and got the uh, got the air flowing again. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite a day, quite a day. Your career was cut short and was cut short because of concussions. I had concussions during my career. I'm not really right. sure how many I had. Uh, and I, and, and then for a long, for the longest time, the NFL right. was denying the fact 
that we as players were suffering from concussions. Do you feel that way about Gary Bettman? And I the feel NHL? that. I think it has improved. I think uh, teams are listening more and uh, to their players. I think players are, you know, and players need to be honest as well. Uh, I think players are allowed uh, the more second opinions now. I think that's uh, and not feeling the the heat when you go out into uh, and to, and to seek that. I think there was a lot of pressure not to, and it was always kept in a little quiet uh, quiet bubble. And that's great if the team has your best interests at hand, and sometimes they do, and other times I'm not so sure that they do. So the way that it is now, I think is a lot better. I, hopefully, it only uh, continues. I'd, I'd like to see them. I'd like to see some efforts in the on the research side of things. I I, I don't see why we. We can't, uh, we can't, uh, the NHL can't help out there. If the concussion protocols were in place back when we played, do you think you would have lasted a lot longer? I, I think I would have. I think also, uh, I think I would have played differently. Uh, concussion was not something that uh, you grew up thinking about. Uh, it was, uh, by the time concussion became something that I, I woke up and thought about every day, uh, it was too late. Um, I didn't uh, in my, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, I, I, it never, never dawned on me. It never, I never really thought to that because I wasn't experiencing them. I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't there. I would like to think that I would have changed my game a little bit and probably toned it down 25% on the physicality. I think that there would be longevity there. Really, it just got to the point where my timing wasn't, uh, I lost confidence cutting through the middle. I, I really did. I, I didn't feel confident at all about grabbing the puck and getting through the middle of the ice without getting uh, get, without getting uh, run into. And and uh, I, it, it was just one of those things where I could I could play on the outside. I could still score a little bit. I could still help out a team, and I did enjoy it. But it got to the end where we were any time that you're you're sitting there and you're looking at the clock at the end of practice, and you just can't wait for that clock to tick away. You know it's time to move on, and and I did I did so. Welcome back, everybody. We're joined by Hockey Hall of Famer Eric Lindros for one final segment, one final shift, if you will. You know, musician Neil Young uh, presented you with your 1995 Hart Trophy. What was that like? Oh, it's a huge thrill. Neil Young, he's uh, yeah, he's he's in a different level than uh, <laughs> he's the best of the best. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was quite a thrill to be uh, to be up there on stage with with uh, with Mr. Young. Yeah, a legend for sure. And I'm just thinking about, you know, you, you said thank you to the Philadelphia Flyer fans and what the Flyer fans actually mean to you. You spent eight years of your career there, the bulk of your career there. That's what you're known for. Right. What are those fans What are those fans and that fan base mean to you? They're, they're a special group. They're a very passionate group. I also think they think for themselves. I don't think they always buy into uh, uh, to what's, uh, to what's floating around. I think they... Uh, they they can see through uh, a number of situations. They're they're an intelligent, an intelligent group with uh, in terms of hockey. Their their hockey IQ is uh, is 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 right up there with uh, with a Canadian uh, with a Canadian team. You can really tell. I mean, when you when you play in Montreal, you play in Toronto, Winnipeg, uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. Uh, you know, and then you go down to uh, to other cities that are in the south. Uh, in, in the states, there's there's a difference there. And and when I when I was in Philadelphia, it felt like you're almost playing in front of, uh, you know, they're just so educated in terms of the game. They're yeah. they're a special group. They're they really are. They're a special group. They uh, they deserve a winner. Um, they have a, a, a wonderful fan base, and uh, I you know they they played well this year. I think they have uh, really good goaltending uh, moving forward. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of pieces in place for that for that hockey team to do uh, extremely well. And Couturier uh, uh, obviously, the, you know, had a, had a huge year and was uh, yeah. awarded. Uh, 
you know, yeah, they're a special group, all right? I remember playing in the vet. They weren't very special to me, I can tell you that. They have their moment. Uh, this, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they didn't like seeing you in a Ranger uniform yeah. either. What was it like for you to have? What was it like for you to have your uh, your jersey in the Raptors, your number up there, and being basically an iconic player for that franchise? Uh, it's a it's a huge thrill, and it's 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 great to be able to to share it with friends and my family. Like my kids never saw me be able to play, uh, saw me play. So to uh, to get down there and to uh, to get on the ice with my kids in that the, in that same rink and to, just to cruise around for a couple of a uh, couple of laps uh, after a, a pregame skate is extremely special for uh, for me. And uh, no, it's fun. It, it really is fun. I have uh, great memories of Philadelphia. Uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of great friends I uh, uh, I, I, I met. Uh, continue to be friends with. Um, I have uh, I have a lot of fond uh, fond times to uh, to look back on. Well, you had a great career, Eric. I can't thank you enough for joining us here on Game Time. Our thanks to Eric Lendros for joining us today, and to all of you for watching. I'm Boomer Esiason. I'll see you again soon, right here on Game Time. I kind of hear you saying that begrudgingly because I know you just re-signed up with the Philadelphia Flyers, but, you know, hopefully you'll be able to make a game or two at the Garden. <laughs> it's, a different, it's, one, it's one of these rules that I've got. <laughs> <laughs>